and welcome back to what feels like the first What The Fork preview show in about a month. However, it's actually only been a fortnight. But nonetheless, Sunderland are back as we return to the stadium light to take on a relegation-threatened but fully invigorated Gillingham side who will be looking to spoil any potential party at the stadium light yet again, as they have done a few times already. Um, it won't surprise you, and it'll probably delight you, to be honest, to know that one of my best pals, former guests, and our main Euro 2020 contributor, Matt from Jills in the Blood, is back to cut the fat on Gillingham season. Mate, I've asked you this already, so I'm not going to pretend to the listeners that I don't ask you this on a regular basis but for the listeners sake how are you doing you all right very well thank you and looking forward to this as always good yes I, I, it feels like i've been away ages honestly it feels like i've not done a review show for a while i did a review show after a strong set of anesthetic and i barely remember it and <laughs> um, so i made sure that we did this on tuesday so i wasn't anesthetic ridden and uh just talking shite well, more shite. Uh, we'll get straight. Took a little bit of shite, didn't we? So it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of par for the course, isn't it? If you if you you own a podcast. Um, In fact, if, if we'd done it Wednesday, at least you'd have had an excuse. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, we take yeah. the plunge. What do you mean by that, Graham? <laughs> Just had lots of pain-killing drugs. Um, We'll get straight to it. Gillingham obviously played on Saturday while Sunderland sat out due to the national duty. You took out what looked like a really very important win at Accrington, which is never an easy place to go. Um, it does go hand in hand with your recent form, which we will discuss it and go deeper into. But focusing on the game at the weekend as it was, how vital was that victory on Saturday? Massive, 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 massive. And it's, it's a game that we probably didn't deserve to win. I didn't go, but I've watched the full match replay on I follow. We were under the cosh for periods of the game. We've had to rely on our keeper. Aaron Chapman, he's made, I think if you look at apps, he's made seven saves, but he's made two that are absolutely top class. There's one where um, the lad had a doy and I think the centre forward is one-on-one and uh, Chapman does well to stand up as long as possible, manages to get a big hand out and keep it at nil-nil. And then shortly after, um, I think it's Harry Pell or Ross Sykes, I don't know, Accrington are full of absolute giants all over the park. It, the, the header's going right in the top corner and Chapman throws up that big right hand again and manages to claw it out. And, and, and they end up being very pivotal saves because five minutes later, we take the lead. Um, slightly against the runner player, I'd probably say, if I'm being honest. Um, but what we're doing now is we're staying in games and we're starting to become a little bit more clinical at the other end of the pitch, which is which is a good mix. And it's certainly a better mix than not scoring goals and, and shipping shitloads like we were doing previously to, to Neil Harris arriving, unfortunately. Um, I think we've conceded eight or nine in 12 games. We conceded seven in 90 minutes um, two days before we turned up. So that, that's the turnaround. And yeah, I think Accrington were unbeaten in nine um, before Saturday. They'd won their last four. But but I did fancy us. And, and I'm not just saying that in hindsight. If anyone watches my channel, please subscribe. I will plug it shamelessly. I'm you know, <laughs> not worried about doing that. Um, that was our fourth win in four seasons up at Accrington. We won there 1-0 last season, the season before, 2-0 the year before that. So, so the only anomaly in, in this win was was the late concession of a penalty. Otherwise, it would have been four three-point holes and four clean sheets on the spin. But yeah, huge win. And to be where we are and where we've come from in, in such a short space of time under Neil Harris is it, frankly ridiculous. We, it's a 14-point swing in a dozen games, which is something that I don't think any Gillingham fan envisaged. We, we thought we'd have a fighting chance with him coming in, but we certainly didn't think that with six games to go, we'd be now four points clear of the drop zone. I know other teams have got games in hand, but I'd much rather be in our position. And quite frankly, I think we've got the best manager in the bottom six. So all is well at the moment. Don't ruin it Saturday. 
<laughs> in terms of recent form, obviously you could say you're one of the form sides in the in the league, really. And um, despite the league position, you've obviously beat Lincoln, Doncaster, Accrington. You got a draw at home to Sheffield. Leaves you in nineteenth on paper. Mm-hmm. Based on the season you've had, of course, it's the best run of form you've had, but performances and points, as Sunderland fans will know, are not always hand-in-hand hand recently. Um, is it Gillingham's best run of form in terms of the performances on the pitch? Are the, the performances mirroring the results that you're getting? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we only have to look at the points turnaround that I can't keep talking about because, like I say, it's almost unbelievable. We've taken 18 points from 12 games, having taken 19 from 28 previously. But we're staying in games. Neil Harris has come in. He's identified very quickly that we're not free scoring. Um, he's identified quickly that, that we need to sh- sharpen up at the back. Any side that concedes seven in 90 minutes clearly has to do something a bit different. Um, he made a couple of big calls in that first game against Crew. He said a lot of it was just gut instinct because he'd had literally no training sessions. He arrived on the Monday, spoke to the players on the training pitch, picked the team Tuesday night. Um, in terms of first games, it was probably... If he was going to hand-pick one, it would have been an out-of-sorts crew team that were bottom of the league and struggling um, themselves. And we saw it out 1-0. wasn't a pretty game. was never going to be that. Um, none of our games are going to be that at the moment. It's, and as, as, to quote Neil Harris, it's, it's all about a clean-sheet mentality. It's all about the next game being the most important one because it's the next one and we can't do anything about the games further down the line. We have to just take care of the next 90 minutes, which is, you know, it's a fairly good philosophy. I think it works. And... Um, yeah, we've been in some games where we probably deserve to get more points than we have. Ipswich, we were the better side. We could have been 2 nil up before, but they scored their winner. Sheffield Wednesday, we should have won. Charlton, we should have got something. So it was a nice Saturday to go the other way slightly and be slightly below our best. Still doing the things to stay in the game, relying on your keeper to make saves, like I said, and your defenders to block stuff, which is something we weren't doing enough beforehand. Um, and then if you get that bit of luck and you earn it, and then you've got two strikers that, that are running into a bit of form, they're not prolific. They're not Ross Stewart. I'm not going to sit here and say that. They're not anywhere near that at the moment. And and that comes down to levels. We know that. Um, but what they're both doing is they're running through brick walls. They're listening to Neil Harris, who's not only our manager, he's a former striker as well. Um, and I think it was Alex Ferguson who said it's it's a sign of a good side if you're winning when, when you're below your best. And that's what we did on Saturday. Again, a long-winded answer um, to, to a fairly straightforward question. No, that's what we like. That's what I'm like as well. If anyone listens to the the opposite version of our podcast, I'm exactly the same. That's what we want. Um, I think it's fair to say in the context of the entire season, there's been a lot of things wrong with Gillingham this season, a lot of things wrong, which we will get into. But one thing that Gillingham seem to have got right has been the appointment of Neil Harris, absolutely, based on everything you've just said. Um, it would be fair to say it's almost completely transformed from the side that we maybe saw earlier in the season and another side has done. But what is it that Neil Harris has actually done to change those fortunes? What are the improvements he's made? Um, it's difficult to say. He stopped us being shit defensively for stars, <laughs> which is always helpful. Um, it's the same group of players, essentially. So I don't think he's, he's not gone in there and done anything. You know, he's not reinvented the wheel, so to speak. Um, there seems to be a different approach. I think there's a there's a more arm around the shoulder approach to, to our previous regime. And we all know the previous regime was. We don't need to go into that in any detail. <laughs> Steve Evans, Paul Rayner have been successful at this level for a long time. Um, but weirdly now, just on the... And it's a very small compartment of the season 12 game. So I'm not sitting here and, and disrespecting Steve Evans. But I think what we've maybe seen after Steve Evans is the fact that, that maybe that type of manager is, is being eased out of the game. 
similarly to like Jose Mourinho at the elite level, um, Arsene Wenger a few years previously, where they had their ways and their methods that were very successful early 2000s, late 2000s, early 2010s. But again, the game evolves. Um, and I think that's what happened maybe with Steve Evans. Um, Neil Harris, a lot younger, has managed in the championship consistently in his last two jobs. He got Millwall out of this division um, and then basically consolidated him as a top-half playoff-challenging team in the championship. And I think he got in the playoffs with Cardiff before leaving. Um, it's made us hard to beat. And he's gone back to basics. And and, and again, I think it um, was Brian Clough that said football's a simple game and it's made more difficult by idiots. Um, he's lined us up in a system that suits the players we've got rather than putting square pegs in round holes. Um, we've got plenty of centre-halves on the books, so he's gone with three of them. Um, we've got full-backs that I think personally are better as wing-backs anyway because they're both fairly quick, fairly athletic, so they can get up and down. They're not the greatest defensively, but Again, the modern game, I think defending as a fullback is, is probably a secondary attribute that you have to have now, um, certainly at the top level. Um, we've got two strikers that are benefiting from playing under a manager that was a striker by trade in his career. Um, we're just doing the basics right. We're staying in games, we're defending our box properly. If the ball comes into our box, we're heading it away, we're volleying it away. If someone takes a shot, we're, we're trying to block it. We weren't doing any of them previously under Steve Evans and then Steve Lovell for a month as well. We were we were conceding too many easy goals. We were conceding too high volume of goals. We wasn't scoring enough goals. We wasn't creating chances. Yes, we've had injuries. We've had COVID problems, but what club hasn't? Um, and I've said plenty of times on my match preview shows, if Jules get relegated, there's not a little star next to your name that says, bless them, they had loads of injuries and a few players were poorly. It just says Gillingham were relegated. So you just have to roll your sleeves up, dust yourself down and, and, and fucking get on with it, to be quite frank, excuse my language. So that's what we're doing. Um, like I've already mentioned, he's not reinvented the wheel. He's just got everybody on board in a system they're all comfortable with. And it's working. And, and, and that is absolutely fine for me at the moment. I don't think we'll see a same... Neil Harris side next season potentially but what he's having to do he's working with someone else's tools at the moment so all you can do is get the best from them tools and, and he's, he's definitely doing that because it, it's been a, a phenomenal turnaround in just under two months Yeah absolutely you can see by the, the league position alone I thought you were gone as truth be told um, So did I about three or four no, times I've had us relegated this season so I know you said you didn't want to touch on him but I will nonetheless well not touch him but touch on him I definitely don't want to touch him <laughs> No. <laughs> um, Steve Evans has never been a popular manager with almost every club and every set of fans. He's a bloody little irritant. And he's built his career on that a lot of it. And he's had a, you know, mm -hmm. what he'll say to me, what you ever done? And he's right. Um, Gillingham didn't like him much before he came in. Then he was appointed. We spoke to yourself about it. I think some fans, as you sometimes are, when you get someone in that you don't really like or respect, are quite philosophical and think, well, you know, fair enough. Um, some ended up even liking him at points when he was doing quite well with Jordan Graham and obviously um, Vidane, Vidane Oliver up front. But now he's gone. Before we go more in depth on um, obviously a new manager in Harris, what's Steve Evans' legacy at the club with Gillingham? Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky question because there's a high portion of the fan base that, that didn't want him, that didn't like him regardless of results. And that's fine. I've, I've, I've said that throughout Steve Evans' reign. My attitude towards it was I didn't want him because of what he'd done previously. 
but again, that was me reading social media, reading media, not getting it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But my love for Gillingham was always going to far outweigh my hate, that's probably a strong word, dislike, disdain for Steve Evans. So I continued to go and watch Gillingham Football Club. Um, I said if he came in and he made us a harder team to beat, if he made us a better football side, then I'd be happy because we all know Sunderland have got their issues with ownership. Gillingham have got their issues with ownership. If you're winning football matches and you're playing relatively well, all the other white noise tends to be blocked out. Mm -hmm. As soon as you stop winning football matches and as soon as you stop playing relatively well, relative to what your level is, whether that's Gillingham being a mid-table League One team or that's Sunderland trying to get back into the championship, as soon as all that stops, people turn their attention other, to other areas of the football club. Um, some didn't go at all. In terms of a legacy, I think that's probably too strong a word. He didn't achieve anything per se in the sense that we didn't get in the playoffs. We didn't get a promotion. We had a decent cup run. We had a 15-game unbeaten run, 19-20. Um, we love going to the stadium of light. <laughs> um, yeah. We love beating you 1-0 late on in games at the Priestfield. Steve Evans is what he is, and we know what he is, and you've just said it, and we've all said it. He makes a career out of it, and he probably plays up to it because it's his persona, and it's his character, and it's his way of being successful. For two seasons, Gillingham were very good under Steve Evans. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend whether I hate the bloke, dislike the bloke, love the bloke. Our results improved a lot under Steve Evans and Paul Rayner. This season, there was clearly a massive drop-off and he was rightfully sacked. You can't go 15, 16 games, whatever it was, without a win and not expect to be under pressure. No, but, uh, not at all. For a long-winded answer again, I think legacy is probably too strong a word. But for two years, we were very solid. He had us believing that the top six was potentially achievable again. But ultimately, we fell just short. And again, it comes back to budgets and levels and all that type of thing. But it'll be interesting to see now if Mr Scally backs Neil Harris. Because we've now gone and appointed a head of recruitment, whereas Steve Evans was doing it all himself. Um Maybe ask me this question after two years of Neil Harris, if we get two years, and then we can see what Steve Evans achieved. It's funny you mentioned the head of recruitment there, because obviously um, I see that you've appointed former England left-back, which I kind of forgot that he played for England, to be honest, but he did. Uh, Nicky Shorey. Two times. Two twice. times. Re he was described as a Reading FC legend, which I don't know what that means, but um, nonetheless, he was a bloody decent left-back, wasn't he, if we're honest. Um, and he's mm. given his head of recruitment. Yep. So I scrambled and searched to see if I could find someone who's the head of recruitment beforehand, and lo and behold, as you've just confirmed, you didn't really have one. Does that sort of indicate that there's a change in how Gillingham want to run the football club? I hope so, because for too long it's been left to, to one man. That's Paul Scully doing the money side of things. And then the manager doing the coaching, the managing, the scouting side of things. And, and it's the 21st century. I get that, that Paul Scully doesn't have as many millions as other chairmen in League One. Probably doesn't have as many millions as some League uh, Two chairman or National League chairman. But it's nice to think that there's something in place now for the mid to longer term 
that says we're becoming a modern football club because you need help. Paul Scully's come out and said he knows financially he can't back us as much as he'd like to and as much as other chairmen can their football clubs. And that's fine. You only have pockets that are so deep and you can only fill in with so many pennies and pound coins. Um, but we could do another whole podcast on Paul Scully and probably your ownership as well. So we'll leave that there. I think it's a great appointment. I don't know too much about Nicky Shorey in terms of what his coaching history, scouting history is. I, again, I was scrambling around when it got announced on uh, Monday. I know he was at Stevenage as a, as a coach under the manager that left before Dino Mamria took over. Um, and I think he's been head scout at Reading for about two and a half years. So clearly highly thought of. I get that he was there as a player as well. So that helps. Um but I'm sure he wouldn't have done the job for two and a half years if he was absolute pony at it. So in that sense, I think it's a great appointment. But again, the proof will be in the pudding when we start seeing some signings in the summer and and moving further forward from there. But yeah, it's certainly a step in the right direction because it's it's making us look a more modern and dare I say a 21st century football club. Touching it before about um, how we could probably do a podcast in each, you could even do a Netflix series on our ownership. Um <laughs> Not again. No, I, you know, <laughs> no, no people were like, I want season three of Sun Until Day. I'm like, do you really, really want to? No, no. Um, no Sunderland fan wants that. I don't think we want the first two seasons, to be fair, but there you go. Um, but Paul Scully, there's been a lot of chat around him. I mean, obviously, I think even I started posting about it because there was like similarities between stuff that he was doing that I'd seen with our, I'm going to say previous ownership here. I don't know whether I mean previous. Um, and Sunderland fans will know what I mean by that. Um, the man who used to be the chairman that is no longer part of Madrox at all in any way, shape, size, or form. Of course, he's a separate entity. Hmm. Anyway, I've seen similarities to that person. Um, he's clashed with fans. He's genuinely made a bit of a mess of things. He's not been a popular man. He's done things to probably some fans that are probably going to be unforgivable. And I understand mm-hmm. that. Um, Scally, I'm talking about with that. But the form's improved. He's made... A good appointment in Neil Harris. He doesn't seem to have any signs where I can see that he feels like selling up, um, much like ours, depending on who you believe. Um, how much of that has died down, that kind of distrust and that dislike towards Scully with A, the appointment of Harris and B, the, the return of form? I don't think it's I don't think it's disappeared. I just think it's it's not so loud. Again, it comes back to what we said earlier. The, mm-hmm. the white noise disappears when you're winning football matches and we're doing that. So people are concentrating on the positives of the stuff that's actually going on the green stuff, which is is what we all predominantly go to watch our football clubs for, isn't it? To, to watch what them 11 players, them 12, 13, 14 players do on the grass for 90 minutes on a Saturday or a Tuesday. Um, it's definitely not gone away. There's, there's people that still want Paul Scully out um, and that's understandable. I get that. Again, we all have our own uh, opinions on, on, on these things my own thinking between now and the end of the season certainly is let's worry about that for the summer or for another day because we need to get behind Neil Harris and the boys for the final six games of the season to coin a cliche six cup finals and and we've got to play some massive clubs in them final six we've got to play you we've got to play Rotherham we've got to play Portsmouth we've got to play Wickham um, teams that essentially are in an area of the table where we've been pretty crap against this season, um, which is the top teams. And that's that's why we're struggling. And you've known from previous experience of Gillingham over the last couple of seasons, and we come back to Steve Evans, 
who we weren't going to talk about, but we're going to talk about again. And and, and we like bloody in the noses of these bigger clubs. And we, we did it on a fairly regular basis to Sunderland. And uh, we need to do that probably at least once in terms of a win over them four teams. Or we're going to have to beat Fleetwood Easter Monday, which is going to be massive. And then probably pick up a couple of points against the bigger boys in the league. So, but again, we've gone off on a tangent, which we like doing. Um, the noise is still there in the background regarding Paul Scully. It won't go away, I don't think. Like you said, I think there's there's some stuff that fans perceive to be unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Um, from my point of view, he doesn't help himself. Paul Scully's people skills have never been great, unfortunately, in terms of what he comes out of with on dual social media channels, the YouTube channel. Um, we had these chairman chats that started this year, which I think we spoke about for the reverse fixture. It just became a little bit, I don't know, self-revolving, I suppose, and and and, and an opportunity to bash other people, which which that's you don't how, need to hear. That's how I seen it. It, it became yeah. a kind of this is why it's not my fault, which I know is an easy yeah. trap to fall into. We've all done it as human beings. We're all of human, but but and there's a big but it, that when you suddenly start feeling like. And Sunderland fans might feel this like it's the because Meth fans obviously have said a lot of things about how Sunderland fans are to blame. I'm sure you'll deny that, but he, there's certain things that people could misconstrue in that way, mm-hmm. and it pisses you off, and it sticks of with you even when you win games. Um, so I was always curious as to how because for me some of the stuff Scally's done's even made me go, oh bloody hell. Right, yeah, there's mate. been a few things which which we've heard about as well, but it's it's even the the, the simple, the silly things, the, the the trivial things like he promised a couple of weeks, no, a couple of months ago that there'd be an open letter to the fans that was going to be out within the next couple of weeks. Well, that was around the time that Neil Harris was appointed. We're now at the end of March. That's regardless of who you are. That's not a couple of weeks. Um, whether he thinks he can get away with not putting it out because. Neil Harris has come in and done a relatively good job and given us a chance of escaping the drop. Who knows? Only Paul Scully can answer that, but he just doesn't help himself far too often. And I get that he probably works hard and he works long hours, um, but I'm sure his pay reflects that as well. Um, And I'm not saying that he's on this amount or that amount, and I'm not going to start trying to suggest that because I don't know for a fact. Um, But I'd imagine his hourly rates substantially higher than mine and yours. (laughs) Yeah, I'd imagine so. And I think even, you know, taking that out of the context, I think, uh, taking out of the equation, I think, when you're the chairman of a football club, I'd never buy a football club because I don't trust myself to say anything He just doesn't have a thick enough skin to be a football chairman, in my opinion. He takes too much to heart, but then he says he's going to act on it properly, but he doesn't. So then you just think it then just becomes babble. Yeah. And um, and just not needed. And it just becomes a waste of time, which is essentially what them chairman's chat videos, I think, came across as to the vast majority of the Jules fan base. I, I, you know, for, for me, I would never run a football club because of that. I probably couldn't handle a, the pressure of it and I get it. But if you do decide to take it on, you've got to remember who you are, where you are and what your position is. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe exactly. not. I think even from doing a podcast, you've got, got to make sure you don't think take things too to heart. And a podcast is very different to but the, the, the Oh, concept. yeah, on a much smaller scale. But, yeah, I totally understand what you mean. We're putting ourselves out yeah. when we do it, but it's on a much smaller scale to obviously dealing with millions of pounds and on a yearly basis and that type of thing. But, yeah, it's a grander, a grander thing of that, yeah. Football's a game of opinions and not everyone's going to agree and you've got to have the thick skin for the people that don't and not fight back at them. 
shall we say. That's, that's our that's our biggest thing with Paul Scully. It's almost like if he he thinks if you have a different opinion about what he's doing, then you're not a Gillingham fan. So it almost comes across that to be a Gillingham fan, you have to agree with everything that Paul Scully does. At the end of the day, it's Gillingham Football Club. It's not Paul Scully Football Club. And I think that's what irks a lot of the Gillingham fan base. Yeah, and I can understand that. That's the kind of stuff I was alluding to before. It was a bit weird. I remember <laughs> seeing that. Um, on the pitch, we touch on Steve Evans before not doing a great job this season. Not a good one at all, to be honest. Um, nope. <clears throat> but he brought in a player from QPR earlier in the season who could hardly get a look in really under him. Um, however, if you look at the, the form book, look at which players have stood out in terms of statistics. Charlie Kelman's been one of your key players recently. How good has he been? Been decent. Very decent. Yeah, he came in in the summer and, and Steve Evans spoke very highly of him. It, it quickly unravelled. I think he, he set up a goal on his debut at Burton in the league and we thought, yep, there's a, there's a really promising strike partnership here with, with Dane Oliver and we all know that we all like a big man, little man strike partnership for a cliche again. Quinn Phillips. Um, for one reason or another, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, Ross Stewart and Jermaine Defoe. Um, yeah, it sounded mm. good. Move on. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then he left, and and there was rumours that he'd fallen out with Paul Sc- uh, Paul Rayner and Steve Evans. There was, I think, there was some sort of altercation row in a pizza trophy game at home to West Ham, and then he was quickly announced that he was going back to QPR and he wouldn't be returning for the rest of the season. Obviously, that changed when when Mr. Evans left, and uh, Steve Lovell brought him back in fairly quickly. But it's probably only been since Neil Harris took over that we're, we're really starting to see the best of Charlie Kilman. Strikers thrive on goals. We know that. If you're not scoring goals, you're not happy. Um, and he wasn't scoring goals. Um, but he's got... I did a tweet today. I think he's played 10 games under Neil Harris. Uh, two goals and an assist in that time. We've won five times when he's been playing. Um, winner at Doncaster. The opener at Accrington last Saturday. And he's building a nice rapport now with, with Dane Oliver. Um and if we can keep them too fit and firing for the remainder of the season, then I'm fairly confident we'll be just about okay. Um, but yeah, I think there's probably going to be stuff that comes out in the wash regarding Charlie Kelman as to why he went back to QPR. There's just been a little couple of comments in, in after-match interviews in the last couple of weeks when he scored. Um, I think he made a comment and said, probably when I'm 35, the details will come out on a podcast when I'm a guest. So there's there's clearly something <laughs> that happened. Um, I doubt that'll be my podcast. I'll be too old. Um, you probably won't care. Um, I feel like yeah, it'll be like Charlie... pod- podcasts in the metaverse or something at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be long finished, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been very impressive in the last few weeks. I've never been able to fault him for effort. In so he'll run for a brick wall. He'll run all day. He'll work the channels. Just the early part of his spell when he came back, he just he looked shot of confidence and didn't look like he was going to score a goal. But we all know you only need one to go in off your ass as a front man and, and suddenly it all changes and it looks like it's clicking now. And it, it couldn't click at a, a more crucial time as we've just got ourselves above the, the dreaded line, so to speak. That was the best time. Um, I think, I don't know why I'd say this, but it does. But the more the season goes on and the more I do these preview podcasts, the bit I'm most excited for is opposition fans' opinion on Sunderland. Um, mm-hmm. with me and you, we chat all the time, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we almost end up coming back to the, back to this every time. Where As a Sunderland fan, I, I hope we don't. And we always say, oh, we're hoping we're not doing this next season. 
you go, oh, we might get relegated. And I'm like, oh, and we always end up back at the same bloody place and have the same, essentially the same bloody discussion. Since mm-hmm. we last played, obviously we've changed manager. We fell out of the automatics. Well, what's new? Um, what are your thoughts though on, on something this season in terms of finding themselves between one of, uh, sorry, two of three teams that were going to be automatics, one of them being Sunderland, top striker in the league again, as we were last year, um, looking like it might be our season. And then manager gets sacked, we tail off, and we are staring a fifth season in League One directly in the face, potentially, currently in seventh. What are your thoughts on it? Um, it's, it's a tricky one, because... Mm-hmm. Again, not to plug my preview, but if you watch that, please do. Uh, Graham talks about early part of the season. And and when we spoke before the game in October, I think it was. Something like that, I think, yeah. Which I, ironically was the game when the, the Paul Scully stuff was at its height because there was a nice aeroplane that went over the stadium that day. Um, you were so upbeat, it was unreal. It was different. You were said it was vibrant. There was youngsters coming in. You couldn't stop raving about Dennis Searching. You couldn't stop raving about Callum Doyle, the young centre-half from Manchester City. Ross Stewart, you, you love him anyway, but he was scoring goals. You were playing expansive football. It felt different. That was the thing you said. That was the phrase, and that's what I picked up on. But yeah, unfortunately, from an outsider's perspective as well, it's all become a bit samey again, hasn't it? We get two-thirds mm-hmm. of the way through the season. The horrible run hinders you. You then feel the need to pull the trigger. Um yeah, it, it's tough as a manager when you've been beaten 6-0 to, to hold on to your job because it's not a good result. And professional footballers, I feel, shouldn't be getting beat that. I get it happens. These freak results do come about. But um, was it the right decision to sack Lee Johnson? Probably. I always go back, though, to, to when we sacked Justin Edinburgh, God rest his soul, in, in January 2017 when we were eight points off the bottom four and I think eight points off the top six having finished ninth the season before. Did I think it was the right decision? Yes. Did I think the appointment afterwards was correct? Absolutely not because we ended up staying up on goal difference. Alex Nils had eight games to can we make and base a real proper opinion on his job? Probably not. It's a very small portion of the season. Um, He's certainly not going to play expansive football, I don't think. He's always been fairly pragmatic when he was at Norwich, when he was at Preston, when he was in Scotland prior to that. But he gets results and he's got results at a higher level than Sunderland are currently operating. So in that respect, it's probably a decent point uh, appointment. But ultimately, um, and again, it comes back to a question I asked you earlier, when does Sunderland stop being a big club in League One that shouldn't be there and essentially just become a League One club? A fifth season in League One, to me, says you just become a League One club like the rest of us, unfortunately. Um, Albeit a big League One club with a nice stadium and a few more pennies than a lot more of the other League One clubs. But like any club that comes into this division, you're there for a reason. Um, top two's gone we know that playoffs would be a tall order I think Um, you're relying on teams that are playing really well above you to drop out of form Um, but ultimately you could still go and win your last six seven games and and gate crash the top six 
Um, but then we know your record in the playoffs. <laughs> so <laughs> is that a blessing? Probably not, unfortunately, if you're a Sunderland fan. As a Gillingham fan sitting here, and I laughed, didn't I? And I put the tweet out when, when Lee Johnson was sacked as a Gillingham fan, and, and I got a little bit of grief off of some Sunderland fan pages, but it was all done in jest. And I said, ah, oh, to having to be sacking your manager, moaning that you're only third in the division, <laughs> or whatever it was at the time. And uh, But again, that comes back to levels and what aspirations are. Gillingham, essentially, historically, are a mid-table League One side. Sunderland operate at a higher level to that and are having to slum it at the moment. Sadly, from your perspective, I think if we stay up, we'll be doing two more of these chats next season. The only positive, isn't it? Jesus. The only positive is I've been done in this league that long. I pretty much know all of the League One podcasters or, or vodcasters incredibly personally well. <laughs> that was one of my big concerns from a channel point of view. was like, shit, I'm going to have to start researching League Two a little bit here and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I was thinking about no, the day. It's um, it is mad, and it is it is. I, I, we love doing this. We do it all the time, like you say. But um, yeah, I think unfortunately, sorry to Sunderland fans. I think if if we manage to stay above the line, then then we'll be meeting at least twice again in twenty two twenty three. So do I, which is probably the most meh, disappointing, and apathetic part of the whole season. You touched on before how I felt earlier on. Anyone who listens to this podcast will know how I felt. So to be kind of here again, it's it's hard to galvanise myself as a fan and be like, come on, let's win the playoffs, which we, of course we could do it. Of course we could. Alex Neal has a history of it and so on and so forth, but it's really hard, and this is only my opinion, to galvanise myself, to be like, let's, yeah, come on. When I'm like, oh, Again, that's nothing to do with managers or players because we know managers and players come and go. But when you get bitten so many times, you, you and yeah. or bash your head against the wall so many times, you, you start avoiding the wall, don't you? Or trying to avoid the wall because you're fed up with getting the headache. I used to watch England's every single penalty shootout. Now, whenever we win it, I turn my back, I'd rather mm-hmm. just not watch it. One time I was surprised, every other time I wasn't. <laughs> battle scarred I think football fans especially at the age I'm getting to now which is not that old it, but yeah. enough to have experience of oh bloody hell and I guess that's the way it is it. yeah yeah absolutely um, it's probably hard for you to pigeonhole from the outside looking in but I'll ask it anyway and there's not going to be right <laughs> answer and if you know the answer to it tell me but what do you think Sunderland's problem is as a football club maybe less so as a well, no, as, as a football club, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think the issue is, if you could pinpoint it? Oh, yeah, that is, that is, that's a good question. Um, There's so many angles you could go at as well. That's the problem. And then maybe that is the problem. Well, the thing is, yeah, because like you said, we've had this chat and we get to this stage of the season or, you know, bleak midwinter and the manager changes and then you hope for a bounce and we do it early enough, we can go and have a run at the playoffs or the top two and it, it never really materialises. Ownership was an issue previously. We all know, again, we come back to Netflix. Um, bad decisions, bad signings, overspending. Um, again, it's tough to to make a, a really informed decision on the, the current owner or part owner or whatever it is. We're not sure entirely um, because he's only been doing it a little while. So you have to give him a full season, 18 months, two years, I'd imagine, before making that call 
Um, I'm genuinely not sure, Graham, to be honest, because... Welcome to being a Sunderland fan. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So I suppose in that respect, I only have to answer it once or twice a season. You have to try and figure it out every sort of week. But it's, um, it is a tricky one because... Yeah. Anyone who looks at that league table at the start of the season invariably says Sunderland will be there or thereabouts. Um, but for one reason or another, it, it, it's not working out that way. Um, it still might work out that way this season because you're only two points outside the playoffs. It's, it's not like it's an insurmountable gap that, that can't be bridged. But Sheffield Wednesday, I'd say, were in better form. Oxford are probably in better form. Plymouth and then if you're looking Plymouth, Plymouth and upwards, you're probably saying the gap's just purely too big because you're running out of runway. Um, I don't know. You said I didn't have to. Yeah. You said I didn't have to answer it. In fairness, so I'm trying. I... It, it is a tricky one, and like you say, I, to be a Sunderland fan and trying to work it out must be so frustrating because. And again, we come back to Sunderland are a League One club now. They're not just. Sunderland paying us a visit, you know, a year on loan or two year loan in League One. You, you, you've been there for it'll be half a decade, unfortunately, if you stay in there for this next season coming. Um, it's funny because you asked yeah. me obviously the the same question, and it's difficult to answer as a Sunderland fan. So God knows why I asked you the question, but nonetheless, I like doing that. Um, no, just, I like getting the viewpoint, but I think you know you, you said you you asked me what the problem was, and I said. Oh, you know, you, you asked me the question when did Sunderland become a League One club? And it was a case of the best answer I could give you was the minute we dropped in here because of the ownership that we've had up until this day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the simplest answer, isn't it? It's probably the simple answer for almost everything across the board. It's, there's two things to blame for how a football club performs or underperforms. Recruitment, I would say, is normally number one. And that's management, mm-hmm. that's um, backroom staff, that's definitely players on the pitch. And, and then probably second of all, how your clubs run. And that all ties in together, doesn't it? And I think that's where Sunderland have suffered for the best part of 10 years, maybe more. Yeah, um, because it's not just it's not just since you've come into League One, for sure. I can answer oh, no. that. This was going on long before then, and that's why you, you suddenly started struggling. We spoke on my video, didn't we? We spoke about growing up, watching the Premier League and Sunderland being, you know, top six, top seven, Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn. Peter Reid and all that. Um, some mad games. Um, Jermaine Defoe the first time. Gus Poyet. Um, when you look at it like that, you shouldn't be here purely just because of them names I've mentioned. Um, and the fact that you had Jermaine Defoe back, albeit too briefly from for your liking, because um, it didn't work out. But unfortunately... Old father time catches up with everyone eventually, and I think it had probably just done that with Jermaine. And it's, it's as as tough as it is, probably from a Sunderland fan's perspective, especially someone who worships as much as you do, but also from a football fan perspective, you wouldn't want to see Jermaine Defoe almost embarrassing himself when we know what he was and how good he was for Sunderland and for some other very good football clubs: Glasgow Rangers, Tottenham, West Ham, Portsmouth. Um, I've gone off on another tangent. I can't remember what the question was. I've totally lost myself as well, but I know you've got a valid point put it that way. Probably a perfect time to bring in the last question we always ask. We've spoken about this off air, but for the listeners, um, 
prediction time. I can't remember if I got the last one right. I wouldn't have predicted a nil-nil. I think I predicted us to beat Gillingham, uh, Lincoln 3-1. I wouldn't have predicted a nil-nil. I can't remember how many I've got right this season. Five, four. Uh, but I am going 1-1 this weekend. I just think you turn up with this team, like you get results, we get frustrated, you time waste or whatever it is, like a lot of League One clubs do. You do what you do to get a result and you inevitably get one. Um, I think you will again. Um, I'm desperately praying that Ross Stewart not being in the Scotland squad tonight means there's no injury, but that would be sod's law. By the time you're listening to this, you will know. Hopefully it's not the case, but I think even with Ross, I think 1-1. Where are you going with it? 1-1. Exactly the same. Our record up there is, is, is very decent since you dropped down to this level. I think we've only been beaten once in four or five games. Um, couple of draws. I think we'll come up there to frustrate. I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to come on, sit here and pretend that we're going to come up there and, and play expansive football and pass you off the pitch because we're not. We don't have the players to do that at the moment, essentially. So we'll come up there. We'll set up in our shape and we'll make ourselves hard to beat. And if we're still in the game with 20 minutes half out of play, then hopefully the stadium of lights getting a bit twitchy. The players then get twitchy. Um, a draw represents a better result for us than it does for you, ultimately. But yeah, I think I think one all. Yeah, me too. Matt, as always, thanks for joining me, mate. I think we got more deeper than usual, but that's probably because we know each other too well. I don't have to uh, <laughs> do the few pleasantry at the start and we get really deep and I actually forget I'm recording, but hopefully those listeners have enjoyed it as well. I'll drop, Matt, all your links in the bio below. I'm sure most followers that follow me follow you, but if you don't, make sure you do that. Um, subscribe to me if you want. Um, I won't hate you if you don't. Um, I might just do a Will Smith... Um, who knows but thanks very much for joining as always Matt and uh, enjoy a pleasure mate always enjoy it thank you very much pleasure thanks mate